0: You want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22 this morning as we go through the Gospel of Luke. We find ourselves in chapter 22, which is the last of three chapters, in which Jesus institutes what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion or the Lord's Table. And in verses 1 through 23, he does that. So we want to talk about it this morning. And after the conclusion, we'll spend some time at the Lord's table. I was looking through some of the DVDs I got from my mom after she passed away uh, two years ago. And I came across a picture of me when I received my first Holy Communion. Remember that? Some of you guys? Now do we have that picture? Do we have that I think we're gonna go look for it? It's supposed to be there somewhere on the on the thing. And uh that was way back in the nineteen forties. Not hundreds. Nineteen forty. Now that's uh, my brother, my dad, and me, and my sister, and then a neighborhood girl, uh, and that was in Kearney, New Jersey, in 19 probably 48, 49. Some of you geek guys even weren't even born back then. First Holy Communion. Now you notice on my face, I can I really understand the fullness of the doctrine of trans. Uh, what is it? Transubstantiation, which is the doctrine that the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. Don't I look like I understand that? Uh, I don't think so. I had a hard time even getting through catechism that would enable me to receive my first Holy Communion. Yes. <laughs> It looks like my dad is squeezing something extra hard there. So we want to talk about what is the Lord's Supper? Now, for many young children, they don't understand why we drink of the cup and eat of that little piece of bread. Um, And even some of the new people to uh, Christianity really don't fully understand what is it about the cup and the bread? What's the meaning there? And in our passage, Jesus introduces his disciples to that issue. And they're even confused because they're still struggling with this whole him dying and resurrecting. What does that mean? And they only fully understand it after the fact. And even though our circumstances are much different from what the disciples experienced at that first uh, Lord's Supper, there are some realities that can transfer to us here and enrich our meeting our meaning as we partake of the Lord's Supper. So what we're going to do is we'll take it in small bites and look at three of the realities we find in the passage. The first is found in verses 1 through 6, and let me read that passage. Now the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into judas Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve, and he went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money, so he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. The first reality we see is at the Lord at the first lord's Supper. There was opposition to what Jesus was doing. There was opposition. Notice the three that were opposing Jesus in verses 2 through 6. First, we have the chief priests and the scribes. These were the religious leaders. These were the power brokers. These were the hoi polloi of the day. Seemingly spiritual, but lacking real spirituality. They were threatened by him. They were threatened by his teaching. His popularity and especially the fact that he on occasion had said that he identified himself as the Messiah. They wanted to put him away. But being people pleasers, they were afraid of what the people would do. So they were against Jesus. They were opposing Jesus. Secondly, we see in verse 3, we see Satan was opposed to what Jesus was doing. He had been after him since His very birth, you remember, perhaps even stirring up Herod to kill all those young boys after he was born. At the temptation in the wilderness, he went after him again. And now, towards the end of his ministry, his hand is involved here. Verses 3-6, through we see Judas, who's also opposed to Jesus. Now, it's sometimes hard to understand why Judas, who was one of his disciples who had been with Jesus 24-7 for three years... Would um, take this position that he has, seeking to betray him. Uh, it says that verse three that Satan, Satan entered into him, and that's enough to make anybody confused. But he was in oppose to Jesus at that time. Now, in the first century, also there was opposition at communion or the Lord's table, and you need to turn to. 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, where Paul describes what was partaking, what was taking place at the Lord's table in the first century. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, we really need to get back to the purity of the church in the first century." Uh, and after reading this, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, the only pure thing was it was pure carnality going on in uh, the Corinthian church. Listen to his words. He's not really happy with what's going on at the Corinthian church. But giving you this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses? Can't you just see him say, that? what? What are you doing? What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Now, we're not really sure what was going on, but it's evident that some, perhaps some of the richer folk, they were bringing good stuff. They were bringing the really nice stuff for the potluck. Because what had happened is they had attached the Lord's Supper to the love feast, or what we call a potluck here. And um, they had attached those two items together. So they, first they would have the love feast, or the, the agape feast, and then they would have the Lord's Supper. What was happening, some of the richer folk were bringing some nice stuff, while other guys, uh, perhaps some of the slaves or some of the working folk, they were bringing P and J's. And so what (laughs) the richer folk, they were kind of keeping it all to themselves. Or perhaps eating quite a bit early on, when later on some of the folks who had to work late, or slaves who couldn't get away, they came and they didn't have anything left. And then it says then even some of them began to get were drinking, and became drunk, and then immediately entered into the Lord's Supper. And he says, you guys are, what does he say? Do you despise the church? And you're bringing shame on some of your brothers and sisters? So we see there was opposition, even in the first century church, the Corinthian church. There's opposition today, but it's not from people outside the church, nor is it people inside the church. You know where the opposition comes from? It comes from us. Now, I've heard people say, well, you know, Pastor Neil, I didn't take uh, of the Lord's table today because I don't feel I'm worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. And a lot of times what it has to do, it has to do with perhaps earlier that week or that month things were not going too well perhaps their walk was not where it should be and perhaps they feel really uh ashamed of themselves and what they've done and so they feel there needs to be a time uh, a lapse of time between that which they're ashamed of and taking of the lord's supper so they think they'll pass and usually what i do to them i turn them to the passage in 1st John chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 where it says that the blood of Jesus Christ what? cleanses us from all sin it says if we say that we have no sin or we haven't sinned we make him a liar we deceive ourselves and his word is not in us now why do I quote that scripture because the Lord's table is an exact expression of first john chapter one verses five through nine it is the place to come to find cleansing and forgiveness and the idea that somehow um, there has to be some time between when i failed and uh, when i kind of get myself worthy is so far from what the new testament teaches because you're never going to be worthy None of us are worthy, but the blood of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection cleanses us from all sin. And so the expression that we have when we receive the elements is directly uh, explained by 1 John 1, verses 5-9. through So oftentimes there's opposition, as there was in Jesus' day in, in the first century church. Second reality we see is found in verses 7 through 13. Let's read that passage. 7 through 13. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat of it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house, and he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which we may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they went and they found everything just as he had been told them, and they prepared the Passover The second reality we see is at the Lord's First Supper, there was a need for preparation. There was a need for preparation. Three thoughts under there. First, uh, there is a connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. There's a connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Now, when Christ instituted the ordinance of communion or the Lord's Supper, he just didn't have the bread And the wine, or the grape juice, but it was wine. Okay? But it was connected to the whole Passover meal. Now, you remember what Passover meal was? Celebrating what? That the Jews were delivered from the bondage of Egypt and sent on their way to the promised land. And you remember why it's called Passover? Passover was its cause because the Jews would take the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, and put it on the lentil and the two torposts, forming kind of a cross, okay? We see that. And when the Lord saw the blood on the doorpost and the lentils, he would pass over that house, and the firstborn of that house would not be killed, as everybody who didn't have the blood on their door, but this would be the last of the... Uh, the plagues against the Egyptians, those who did not have the blood, their firstborn, would be killed. Do you remember the story? Passing over. Okay. Now, I believe that Jesus just in, didn't institute the Lord's Supper just by happenstance connected with the Passover, but they're both intricately contained. I believe that the Passover, the Jewish Passover, is a promise that is partially fulfilled by the Lord's Supper. It speaks of the very same thing, of us being what? Delivered from the bondage, not of Egypt, but the bondage of what? Of sin, on our way towards the promised land. And we'll talk about what I think is the absolute fulfillment of both the Passover and the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Okay, so there's a connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Then there was, in verses 8 through 13, there was a command to prepare. A command to prepare. So the disciples went, uh, Peter and John went, and they prepared the Passover meal. And they prepared, there was things that they needed to do. Now, here at Calvary, we have, um, let me get one out. We, we went to uh, this mode about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, Now, one of the reasons we went this way was because we did it in the middle of the flu epidemic. And we felt it was it was better for the people, you know, people putting their hand in the bread. And, you know, it's just we just wanted to do that to keep you from getting the flu. But also what we found is it's easier for us to prepare now. I mean, we take a long time putting the juice in those little plastic cups and breaking up the bread and, and there's just some, you know, things there that we could pass on, flu germs. But now, when you guys decide to stay home to watch the big game or whatever you do, we don't throw away a lot of it. We were throwing away quite a bit. And now we just, if you decide to watch the big game or go to the beach or whatever you do when you don't come to church... Uh, <laughs> We just put these back in the box. So we do prepare here. Okay. As the disciples prepare, there's a preparation there. But also there's a need, a necessity, thirdly, for us to prepare our hearts. And in order to do that, we have to look at, go back to 1 Corinthians for just a moment. Um, 27 through 32, verses 27 through 32, talk about that preparation. But why don't we just, for context sake, read beginning in verse 23, where Paul gives the instructions to the church concerning the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, reading from verse 23, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're very familiar with these passages. With this passage. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now he begins to talk about our preparation. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats of the and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason many em are weak and sick, and a number have died, or fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along. With the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. There's a necessity for us to pray for prayer. Now, Paul speaks of examining ourselves. He speaks in verse 27 of. Taking of the cup in an unworthy manner. Now, what what does that mean? What is he talking about? Taking of the cup in an unworthy manner. Well, yeah, once again, you have to go back to the situation that was existing in the Corinthian church at that time. Remember, they had the love feast and people were being selfish and some of them were getting drunk and some of them weren't sharing what they good, they had with the poorer folk and they were shaming the church, despising the church. Remember that? Then they would just march in and have communion and think, I'm fine, I'm fine. But they weren't fine. They weren't fine. Why? Because the Lord's Supper or communion, whatever you want to call it, the Lord's Table, is a time of reflection. It's a time for you to say, you know... Man, I am in need of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me. I need to ask forgiveness. It's a time of coming before the Lord. And when you hold the elements in your hand, that's the time to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I, man, I have just, I have not been a good husband. I have not been a good worker at my place of work. I have not been faithful in what you've called me to do. Please forgive me. There's that time of brokenness. There's a time of confession. That's what that's about. Remember what I talked about in 1 John chapter 1? five to 9? That's the time to do that. And they were just barging right in. Well, I'm, I'm fine. No, you weren't fine. You weren't fine at all. You're coming in with an arrogant attitude and he even says in the previous passage, that you've you've what you've done is you're despising the church you're bringing shame on your brothers and sisters you need to repent now look at verse 30 this is interesting it says because of what they were doing some are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep wow now i have to confess i've never seen this happen in in the church but uh, you know that doesn't mean that we should eliminate that whole verse because i believe that verse is teaching that um when we are spiritually in rebellion that will affect our physical life you see we're 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 a kind of a one unit spiritually emotionally physically okay now i'm not saying if you're sick this morning it's because of there's sin in your life <laughs> I, I, but that, that verse points to the direction of the, the unity of a person. And, and if you are living in blatant sin, uh, it can affect you emotionally, amen, and physically. That's what he's saying. That's, that's part of the deal. So there's a necessity for us to prepare so that we judge ourselves. You need to judge yourself. Take a look at where you've been. asked for the forgiveness that comes with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's about. So we need to prepare ourselves. Okay. Um, the last reality is found in verses 14 through 23. Let me read it. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer For I say to you that I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Verse 21, But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves Which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing? The last reality we see is at the first Lord's Supper, there were three elements. There were three elements. First, there was a looking forward in verses 14 through 18. A looking forward. Notice what he says. He says, I'm not going to drink of the cup or eat of this until the kingdom of God comes. Until the kingdom of God comes. Is fulfilled. Now he was connecting once again the Passover with the Lord's Supper. There, okay, that's what's going on here. And what does he mean by uh, "until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God"? Until the kingdom of God comes. Now many say that what he's talking about is what the Lamb Supper of the the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a, that's pretty good. But essentially, what he's saying is. That which was spoken of the Passover, deliverance of God's people from the bondage of Egypt, moving towards the promised land. That which was spoken of at the Lord's Supper, the deliverance of our sins, moving towards eternal life, when it is fulfilled, when will it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God, when God's people will be what? Totally delivered from the bondage of sin. And we'll, and Jesus says, then the Passover, the Lord's Supper, will be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So there's a looking forward. So as we hold those elements, we're, we're, we're connected to our Jewish friends and our Jewish brothers and sisters, but we're also connected looking forward to that day when we'll eat of that supper with the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So there's a looking forward. There's also a remembering. There's a remembering. He says, "Now I want you to remember. Remember me when you do this. Now, remember they're 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 a little confused. They're still struggling with this whole concept of Jesus's death and resurrection. So they're in a little bit of trouble there. Okay, uh, they don't really fully understand this till later on. But he says, when you do this, remember me. Remember, remember me. What does that mean? That means." When you're holding the elements in your hand, think about what I did on the cross and how it has delivered you from your sin and given you peace with God. (laughs) That's what it is. Remember, bring it fresh. We're to hold those elements in our hands to kind of, there's a physical representation of what Jesus did. It's kind of like baptism. Now, baptism, the water doesn't save you, does it? No, it's not the water. But what? It's a physical manifestation of you dying to yourself and coming up out of the grave. Amen? It's new life. Well, the communion is an ordinance of the church. Now, many people feel there's two ordinances of the church. There's baptism and there's the Lord's Supper. Now, our brethren brothers, you know what they believe? They believe foot washing. Because Jesus said, as I have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Um, Well, that's an interesting doctrine. We'll talk about that later. But uh, anyway, so we have this element. We're remembering. We're looking back, causing it to bring up fresh. Now, there is some controversy over this whole, this is my body, this is my blood. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, our Catholic friends believe, and as I said, that's the church I was brought up in. Transubstantiation—that the elements themselves actually become in the mass at that. There's a miracle that takes place that the the elements actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. Believe that. Now our Lutheran friends—they believe that Jesus is in and through the elements. Uh, you'll have to find a Lutheran to explain that. I don't know what that means. Uh, And that's called consubstantiation. Big words. You don't have to remember them. Evangelical churches believe that the elements, as we hold them in our hands, are just that. A little grape juice (laughs) and love bread. Why? They represent. They're a representation of Jesus' body and his blood. Now think about this. When Jesus held the bread in his hand, say this is a piece of bread, and he said to his disciples, this is my body. What did they think? Not, he, they didn't think that Jesus was saying, this piece of bread is my body. They thought, what? They knew what he was saying. That what? This represents my body. This cup represents uh, the blood that I'm going to shed. And so... Uh, He calls us when we hold the elements in our hands to remember what He has done. But it also is important, it's also important that when you take of the cup and you eat of the bread, you're saying, I personally have entered into that forgiveness, that peace with God. I am proclaiming like baptism, just like baptism, that I have been born again, that I'm trusting in the Savior for my salvation and only in Him. So when you take of the cup, you're, you're saying, I am a Christian. I am born again. That's what it means. And so that's why we say we have an open communion table. But if you're not a Christian this morning, there's no hard feelings. Because when you take that cup and you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're saying, I am a believer. That's what you're saying. So if you're, if you're not a believer and you haven't been born again, we welcome you here. But you got to make a statement. Are you making a statement? Well, uh, well, well, I don't want to appear to be funny, so I'll, I'll just go to this, but I'm really not a Christian. No, no, don't do that. It's, you're making a statement. I'm born again. If you're born again, shh, you're welcome to take up the cup. Because that's what it means. That I have personally entered into that forgiveness that is found in the death of Jesus Christ. Okay. The last... Um, part of this uh, reality is found in verses 21 through 23 that there was a betrayer at the table. Do you notice that? There's a looking forward, there's a remembering, but also there's a betrayer at the table. Now, if you think about this, this is, this is an amazing thing. Judas was at the table. Do you see that? He partook of the Lord's Supper that first night. Now, What does that mean? What can we learn from that? Well, first we know of the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Because if that was me, and he was sitting at the table, and he was about to betray me, I wouldn't be passing the cup to him. I'd be throwing it in his face and telling him to get your miserable face out of (laughs) here. And you'd be doing the same thing, wouldn't you? Yes. What does Jesus do? He just lets him know by saying these words in verses 21, 22, he knew what he was going to do. Now, now some of you might struggle with this, but perhaps, this is just my own thinking, perhaps there was that last window of grace. Do you see the grace of Jesus Christ here? Now, does that mean we should allow unbelievers to partake of the table? No, No, that's not what it is saying. But there's that element there. There's that element of the grace of Jesus Christ. I think Jesus' actions speak to us about how we respond to those who are actively working against us. Did you see how Jesus responded to those who were actively working against him? Judas was about to betray him and yet he showed him grace and civility. I found a passage that speaks directly Of what Jesus did when he was dealing with Judas that day says uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse nineteen Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing you you will heap burning coals upon his head. Here it is. Do not become overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Jesus did exactly that. It speaks to us as, we, as our society becomes so polarized. We need to examine how Jesus handled those who were opposed to him. Okay. We are going to close with uh, the Lord's Supper. If I could have the, the worship team come up. I've tried to finish in time to allow us a little time for the Lord's Supper. I'm reminded of the story of Moish Rosen. Moish Rosen was the founder of uh, Jews for Jesus. He was a Jewish man who was converted to Christianity, converted, and he received the, um, the Messiah as his Lord and Savior. And the first time he was invited to the Lord's Supper, he's Jewish. And I think it was an evening service. And so what he did is, um, he said, okay, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So being the good guest that I want to be, I'm not going to eat dinner uh, before we go. Because I want to be, you know, we'll be eating. And so uh, he got to church and they had the service. And then they, the pastor began to speak about partaking of the elements, drinking the blood of Jesus and eating the body. And Moise was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And he was a rather large man. And then when they passed out the elements, he said, Is this it? Is this this it? Where's the rest of supper? Uh, He wasn't physically refreshed that day, and neither will you be physically refreshed uh, this morning by the small portions of grape juice and bread that we give you. That comes later on with lunch. You go to Boneheads or wherever you're going. Uh, or maybe a, a donut or something, but you will be what? Spiritually refreshed. Amen? Amen.